Hello and welcome to The Odo Approach, a podcast created by medical students for medical students to teach you about all things otolaryngology. I'm your host, Huachi Lee, and today we're going to be joined by the lovely Dr. Josie Shu. Dr. Josie Shu is an otolaryngology head and neck surgeon currently practicing at Northern General and Michael Guerin Hospital in Toronto. She completed her Bachelor's of Health Science from McMaster University and then her MD from Queen's University. She did her residency in otolaryngology, head and neck surgery at the University of Toronto, where she worked on research related to medical education, patient education, and mobile health technology. She most recently completed her fellowship in sleep surgery and sleep medicine at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles, California. So thank you so much, Dr. Shu, for joining us today. Very excited to hear about your journey thus far. So why don't we get started with our first question? We'll start with the basics. Could you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, thank you so much for the invitation. Absolutely delighted to be here on the podcast to share a little bit about, uh, you know, what it's been like uh, to get here so far. Uh, you've covered, I think, most of my educational kind of background. And so I've been, you know, doing school all around Ontario, went to California and then came back. I was born in Halifax, lived in Toronto for most of my life. And, uh, you know, in undergrad, I did a lot of kind of maybe non-medical things like graphic design and, you know, running some events and orientation week and all that kind of stuff all through medical school too. And then um, in residency, you know, got pretty busy. So hobbies were on hold for a little bit of time. Uh, But now that I've, um, you know, started to become a staff physician, uh, just rediscovering my hobbies, you know, my partner and I moved out to the East End. We're really enjoying it here, doing outdoor activities, doing some beach volleyball and spending lots of time with friends and family. Uh, And of course, uh, work and everything in between as well. That sounds lovely. Great to hear that you have some time to rediscover some of your older hobbies. In terms of kind of what drew you to the specialty in the first place, can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So when I was in medical school, I think I realized that I was drawn more towards things that had some more visual diagnoses or doing tactile things with my hands, as opposed to some of the other specialties where maybe it was more, um, you know, interpreting blood work and kind of more, uh, let's call it cerebral uh, problem solving, like on, uh, you know, house, uh, rather than, you know, I kind of like looking at something and diagnosing it and, and seeing what we could do to kind of solve that problem. And so I was drawn definitely towards surgery at first. And I definitely also liked how in surgery, there are certain problems where you could diagnose it, you could offer a solution, and then you could move on and hopefully the patient would do well. And although, you know, chronic um, patient care is extremely important and very valued uh, and needed, I just felt that my personality and my skill set was better suited uh, for maybe something in surgery. So from there, I started to think about all the different subspecialties and, you know, whether they might be um, something that I would like. So I really just started shadowing um, in all the different surgical subspecialties to see which one was a good fit and which one made the most sense to me, which, you know, group I seemed to click with the most. And in the end, you know, when I explored more about otolaryngology, head and neck surgery, there was just so much about it that I liked. And a lot of it had to do with the breadth of the specialty. And so, you know, I really enjoyed how I could see, you know, newborn babies, but also elderly patients and the, you know, the adults in the middle. I really liked how the procedures could be something as mundane as cleaning earwax, which can bring so much joy to someone uh, to something that's incredibly life-threatening, like the airway cases or, you know, super long free flap cases, which can take all day, very technically complicated and, and very challenging sick patients. 
And, you know, I really like that breadth. And then the breadth of subspecialties is really something else. I mean, a lot of people don't realize within our small specialty, we have so many subspecialties and you guys have done a really great job in highlighting a lot of those in the podcast so far, which is wonderful. But, you know, otology and neurootology is so different from head and neck surgery, which is so different from laryngology care of the professional voice, which is so different from, you know, pediatric otolaryngology. And I think that there's just so many different facets to the specialty that were amazing. I really, I really liked how we made such a big difference in patients' lives, especially with regards to their senses and their quality of life. And so to be able to support someone with change in their hearing or change in their smell or ability to have a sound night's sleep, you know, all of those things are you know, maybe not life threatening, but can make such a big difference in people's quality of life and their ability to kind of do and and be themselves. And so when I saw what a difference some of those um, procedures or medical treatments could make when I was a medical student, I thought, wow, you know, this is a, it's a pretty special and pretty amazing specialty. Uh, I love that there was medicine. I love that there was surgery and, uh, you know, I just stuck with it. And at the end of the day, it was also the people that I met in the specialty just seemed really welcoming and really open and just people that I felt that I could click with. And, uh, you know, and I just jumped, um, I guess, feet first. And uh, here we are. That's amazing. Yeah, definitely. The specialty has so much breadth. I've come to appreciate it over the last few months or so. Uh, You said you kind of got into it through shadowing was your first exposure going into clerkship were you kind of set on otolaryngology at that point or were you still kind of thinking about different specialties no definitely not set at all i i think i was leaning towards surgery at first and uh but i tried really hard to keep an open mind and you know to be very honest i was very open to a parallel you know opportunity uh in family medicine And although family medicine, extremely different practice, extremely different day to days, extremely different, you know, patient population in some ways, uh, I think I probably could have been happy. And so I applied to both and kind of pushed on forward. And in the end, just saw where my interviews were. I really thought really hard about the difference of specialties um, and ended up, you know, picking um, or ranking at least in my order of preference. And so, you know, I really strongly believe that people can probably do multiple specialties. And so I really think it's important for people to keep an open mind. Um, and it's more than just what you see in clerkship. And so, no, I mean, I definitely was not uh, confirmed or, you know, set on it at the beginning of clerkship. I really only started thinking about it, I think at the end of second year. So, you know, the, the road is long. That's definitely comforting for us incoming clerks with all of these different specialties to think about. Um, as you said, otolaryngology has a lot of different subspecialties, and you recently completed your fellowship in sleep surgery. How did you decide to pursue that specifically? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think so many people come to their decision on fellowship in so many different ways. And I thought about it maybe in a slightly backwards way to maybe some of the way some other people thought about it. I definitely 
you know, I tried to envision where I saw myself in terms of where I wanted to practice and what kind of practice I wanted to have. And I figured that I would probably be the most happy in a community-based practice, but with some sort of subspecialty where I could either have an area of expertise in the academic world or in education uh, or in research. And so then I started to think about what kind of specialties were needed in certain communities, maybe what was up and coming um, and what just needed more exposure or or more, you know, uh, visibility, what needed more visibility. And so, you know, we do a lot of procedures that are for obstructive sleep apnea. So sleep surgery is primarily surgical treatments for obstructive sleep apnea, which is when people have pauses or blockages in their breathing during sleep. Um, And that could be tonsillectomies, that could be septoplasties, adenoidectomies in kids. And so it's something that we already see a lot of the time. And those are the main surgeries that we offer. But really, you know, obstructive sleep apnea is blockage in the upper airway anywhere from the nose down to the larynx. And that could include the epiglottis, that could include the lateral pharyngeal walls, it could include the tongue. And to me, it was kind of crazy that there weren't that many otolaryngologists involved in the care of sleep apnea patients when, when really we are the upper airway experts and we are the upper airway experts in medicine and in surgery. And so sleep medicine, you know, has so many different subspecialties involved in it. So sleep medicine physicians are often respirologists, neurologists, um, psychiatrists, or even anesthesiologists. And then there's also dentists and oral surgeons that are involved, even psychologists that are involved in sleep health. But where are the upper airway surgeons? You know, this is truly, I mean, it's obstruction of the upper airway is the definition of the problem. And so uh, I really wanted to learn more about it and how we could fit into that clinical paradigm. And so I just started to learn more about what people were doing in other areas of the world. And I realized that sleep apnea care, surgical sleep apnea care in Canada, let's say is a little bit behind, Um, you know, even though it's estimated that 30% of the population in Canada is at high risk of obstructive sleep apnea, 30%. Let's think about that for a second. You know, there's a massive underdiagnosis rate, probably 70 to 80%. And so not only is it a recognition problem, but it's a diagnosis problem and it's a treatment problem. And so there are other countries like, um, you know, Taiwan and Singapore uh, that have done more work in this area. And in the US, you know, people have pursued different types of treatments. And so I started to, you know, reach out to experts in their field in these different areas to see what kind of things they do. And is that something that might be feasible in Canada? And so when I started to think about it more and reach out to them as a resident, I did electives um, with some of these surgeons, um, most notably in California with multiple surgeons in Taiwan and in Singapore. And it was amazing to see you know, a different uh, medical environment, but also a completely different way of thinking about a very similar problem to the patients that we have here. So, you know, I really liked it. And I just kind of, again, jumped forward and I talked to a lot of mentors about, you know, what is the role of subspecialized, you know, sleep surgery in Canada. And everyone I talked to said it's it's underserviced, it's underdiagnosed, you know, we definitely need more help in this area. So what can I do to go learn more and see what I can do to kind of bring things back. And that was my thought process uh, in terms of thinking about the uh, specialty. 
you know, I was really lucky to go to my fellowship at uh, Keck Medicine at the University of Southern California. I worked with this amazing surgeon, uh, Dr. Eric Kazarian, who really is a pioneer in the field of sleep surgery. And so for decades, I mean, he's been thinking about these clinical problems, treating these patients, trying new surgeries, putting out research, you know, um, a real leader in the community, uh, in the small sleep surgery community. And he very graciously offered me a training position uh, in COVID, no less. And so I went during COVID and uh, it was the most wonderful experience. And, you know, it's so wonderful to be able to focus all of your attention on something for a whole year. And you realize that there's so much more to it. You could always learn more. There's always more to discover, more to research, more to work on. And, uh, you know, that was my um, fellowship experience. And so I'm just very excited to bring some of those ideas uh, back to Toronto and and try to participate and help and provide, you know, my insight uh, wherever I can. That is so great. Thank you so much for the insight. It's definitely very interesting to hear about the international experiences and how different countries might do things differently outside of Canada. Uh, so now that you're back in Canada, kind of what does a day in the life, if you will, look like for you? Absolutely. So my days are mostly split into either clinic days or OR days. And so clinic days, I would say eh, pretty probably similar to most other people's OR days. So I have, or sorry, clinic days. And so my clinic days are at a community office that I share with some other partners. Uh, we, you know, probably, I probably see patients from between eight and nine o'clock to about four or five o'clock, hopefully a little lunch break in between. Uh, if I'm on time, uh, we see a whole mix of patients, uh, children, adults, you know, seniors, some of them get audiograms beforehand. Some of them are going to be just kind of histories and physicals and counseling appointments. Some of them might be minor procedures like putting in a tube in the ear or, you know, doing an intratympanic injection, something like that. Uh, we'll have some other specialized clinics in the hospital where we're doing minor procedures like biopsies in the mouth or on the skin uh, or of a neck mass. And uh, there's also a lot of paperwork that's, you know, sprinkled in in there and hopefully you can get it done during the day. That would be great. And once in a while, you know, you bring it home with you and you have to finish, you know, extra notes or, you know, referral letters or following up on blood work or imaging, planning for ORs. And so, you know, there's a lot of uh, background work, of course, with uh, the clinical work. My split is that I definitely see a lot of general otolaryngology patients in addition to sleep apnea patients. And so those just get sprinkled kind of throughout my day. Um, the OR days are, you know, kind of standard uh, community OR days starting around 7.30 in the morning, going to around 3.30 in the afternoon. Uh, our pediatric cases are quite fast. So it's a lot of, you know, quick surgeries, talking to a lot of family members, bringing them to PACU, rinse and repeat. And uh, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, of course, some of our cases are longer. So you turn on some music, you know, catch up with your assist or the other OR staff. And so it's, it's a ton of fun um, in the operating room. And I think, you know, a lot of people end up liking ENT because they're able to, you know, do surgery. And, and to be honest, you know, the OR is a nice reprieve uh, from the day-to-day -day clinic life for sure. Um, of course, can't forget about the on-call responsibility. So you share that with your other colleagues and whether it's being on call during the daytime or in the evenings and the weekends, we all split that. And it's a mix of phone calls, you know, coming in for some maybe semi-urgent consults uh, or doing, you know, emergency operations where is needed. So, you know, it's definitely less busy than residency, at least for me so far, but it's a, it's a lot of fun and yeah, there's always lots of unexpected things that happen every day.
<laughs> that definitely sounds like an adventure and maybe a little bit of a change of pace from residency life for sure. Kind of related to that question. So as a relatively recent resident, kind of what were some of the challenges or surprises that you faced since becoming staff uh, and or in your career thus far? So I think all transitions can be very challenging and all transitions, you know, have that change in responsibility. And the transition in becoming an attending staff is that, of course, you are responsible for the patient and the buck stops with you. And when people ask for advice or they ask for a surgical consultation, you know, you are the person that people are coming to. And that level of responsibility, even though in training, you know, you learn exactly what you need to do, exactly what you need to say. I think that level of responsibility, though, still feels different somehow. And, you know, there's definitely an element of imposter syndrome at different stages of transitions. And I certainly have gone through it in different levels of training and now as an attending physician. And when you're finally an attending physician, you think that, you know, maybe it'll go away. It definitely doesn't go away. Um, You know, people look at you for advice, for the expertise, for guidance. And perhaps for a second, you think, why are they looking to me for advice? I you know, I just started. But part of the, you know, I think learning process is trusting yourself, trusting your training, trusting your knowledge, trusting the experiences that we did have through training, and knowing that, you know, you are actually capable and you have the skills and knowledge to help the patients. And I think in Canada, we're really lucky to have these amazing residency programs with very supportive staff and and great educational framework to prepare us very well to become attending physicians. But regardless, that transition and being ultimately responsible and trusting yourself and believing in yourself uh, can be a challenging one. So I would say that's still, you know, an ongoing process uh, as part of being a new staff. You know, I think in residency, we see challenging things like complications, but sometimes you don't see them in a long-term way, uh, in a longitudinal way that you may see as an attending physician. So, you know, as a resident or as a medical student, you know, you're constantly rotating through different rotations and, you know, you might be with certain patients for a certain period of time, but you may not see them for more than, you know, a three month chunk of time or maybe even a six month chunk of time. And again, similarly, you know, seeing complications that are ultimately, you know, your responsibility can be very challenging. And I think in this happens in all different types of medicine and surgery, of course, but in surgery, there's a certain element of the acuity of the complications the gravity of the consequences of those complications that can be quite difficult um, depending on the person emotionally and depending on how you know much you take that home with you and it's not an easy thing to process yourself and so I'm very lucky to have very supportive colleagues uh, and mentors uh, to be able to bounce ideas off of and to learn from and you know I think those are probably some of the main challenges that I've had in in my first couple months of practice but the ultimate you know amazing thing is that you know, you never stop learning and you never stop having mentorship with the people around you. And after residency, you know, the, um, the camaraderie and the learning really doesn't stop. And I'm so lucky to have senior colleagues and peers around me that I can turn to for either clinical advice or just kind of emotional support, you know, when maybe something doesn't go the way that I expect it to. 
And otolaryngology is a small community and everybody knows each other. You know, we all have our areas of expertise and everyone's willing to support each other and lend an ear because everyone's been there at different levels of training. So, you know, despite the diff- difficult challenges um, in this transition, you know, we are really lucky to have this amazing uh, supportive community around us. So, you know, that's one thing that we know will always kind of take us forward. Definitely support is so important, it sounds like, in many different uh, aspects of people's careers. And kind of in that line, this is our last question for today. Do you have any advice for medical students just in general, but also for those interested in otolaryngology? Absolutely. So the first thing is, I think, you know, enjoy medical school as much as you can. It's short, it's difficult, but you know, hopefully you only do it once. And it is a really magical time with really quite phenomenal people. So, you know, go to class, go to the social events, get to know your colleagues. It's really difficult in an era in which you guys have a lot of, you know, virtual classes and virtual meetings and things like that. It's so, so difficult. But these colleagues and these classmates really are going to be your colleagues for life and you're sharing an amazing you know time in your life together and you're always going to see people you know in the hospitals moving forward that you went to medical school with and I'm really so very thankful for my friendships um, from medical school kind of moving forward so hopefully you know don't think don't dwell too much on the next steps but really try to enjoy you know medical school as much as you can because it is a very carefree and fun time uh, you know relative to some of the challenges going forward. I think when you're thinking about, you know, choosing a subspecialty, it's a really, really important decision. And as I mentioned before, I do think it's really important to keep an open mind. I think it's really challenging when people come into a learning situation or a rotation thinking, oh, I'm going to absolutely do this and definitely not that. Um, The medical students that keep an open mind and try their hardest in every subspecialty and every rotation are the ones that often perform the best and the ones that become better, more rounded physicians overall because they've, you know, spent the time and and mental energy in trying to kind of learn as much as they can. And also, you know, you never know when you go on a rotation, you never know what might pique your interest. You never know what might surprise you. And it's never really too late to change your mind, either in clerkship or in residency, if you realize that you might be suited to another specialty. Um, But at the same time, I do think it's really important when thinking about a specialty to not just love the content, you know, it's it's great if you love the content, you live and breathe the content. You know, I had this friend in undergrad and, and medical school who just, she just loved placentas so much. She just loved placentas so much. And she couldn't imagine doing anything other than obstetrics and gynecology, which is wonderful. Not everyone has such a strong, you know, inclination towards a specific topic and that's okay. Hopefully you like it a lot. But the other important thing really is thinking about what is life like as X, you know, what is outside of work life like as a X specialist. And so I think podcasts like this are really wonderful to try and see and get a better grasp on what people's lives are really like, because it's definitely not always like the chief at the academic centers, right? It's definitely that the average otolaryngologist is not a program director at a Uh, residency training program. And so what does the average otolaryngologist do? You know, what kind of cases are they doing? Uh, How much overnight work are they doing? 
how many hours are they working in a day? Uh, what does the job market look like? And where do you want to live moving forward in the future? Because those types of things, although nobody can ever predict what the job market looks like, there are certain things with certain subspecialties that are just always going to be an issue. So there's always going to be family physician jobs all over the place. Surgeon jobs are limited by OR capacity and hospital resources. And that's going to be a fact, you know, for the foreseeable future. And so those types of things, although uh, hard to be certain about, uh, should really play an important role, I think, in people thinking about their subspecialties, because you know, you may really love a specialty, um, but if ultimately you can't find a future in the in the thing that you trained so long for in maybe a place that you and your loved ones want to live in, it's going to be a challenge. And uh, so I definitely have seen, you know, friends and colleagues go through things like that. And I think that plays a really important part in choosing a specialty. Like I said, you know, having podcasts like this and being able to talk to lots of different people in the specialty you're interested in, both in academia and in community, is is probably the best way to go about doing that. Um, and lastly, you know, in otolaryngology, I mean, I think for any medical students listening who are interested in otolaryngology, um, come on down, you know, come talk to the otolaryngologist, talk to as many people as you can. We're really a small community. And I found that everybody is exceptionally friendly and receptive to learners and people who are interested to know more. And it's difficult to maybe initiate or say hi and, and kind of uh, take the next step. But you definitely, you know, you, you can't lose, uh, I think, by by trying and putting yourself out there. And, you know, one of my favorite memories is going to uh, CSO, the Canadian Society of Otolaryngology annual meeting. As a medical student, I wasn't presenting anything. I didn't know anybody. I went with another medical student who was also very keen on otolaryngology. And we went there. And half the time, we were just kind of standing around, you know, watching some presentations and maybe thinking, oh, I want to talk to this person. Oh, I want to talk to that person. And you kind of make yourself do it. And it uh, was a great experience. And I still think back and some of the mentors that I spoke to remember me approaching them. And it's, uh, you know, it's a great way to network, great way to meet people and a great way to just understand if the specialty is right for you. So, you know, definitely say hi, send an email. Uh, It never hurts. And you never know, you know, what might happen. Thank you so much, Dr. Shu. That was so wonderful to hear. It's really great to hear just the different stories of, you know, when you were a medical student, everything like that. So thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to chat with us today. And thank you to all our listeners that tuned in. And we hope to see you back here for our next episode.